and he's been a race runner ever since I've known him. And he's kept the course. He stayed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He stayed faithful to what God has shown him. If, if I can say anything to you, be faithful to what God shows you. Amen. And it's you personally. You personally. God deals with each and every one personally. And you be faithful to what God shows you and run according to what God shows you. You know, we heard uh, uh, Wednesday night of Brother Kelvin Muhammad. And you know, with the last name Muhammad, you can, you can kind of imagine his upbringing. So he grew up as a Muslim. And uh, I need to make a copy of the CD of Kelvin. I've got, I've got one already, and I need to get copies of the conference. Uh, Bob and I sat in, Bob and I and Andrew, and bring them. But Kelvin uh, just preached a tremendous word on the journey. And, and the way he preached the journey was three days and three nights. It's a three-day journey. Glory to God. So for all your life, you're going to be on a three-day journey. Amen. As long as you're here in the earth, you're going to be on a three-day journey. When they left Egypt, they were on a three-day journey. If you count the years, they were much longer than three days. But they were on a three-day journey. But Brother Kelvin, uh, he spoke of some of his testimony Wednesday night, and he, and he really speaks of it in the CD I have out here of how he grew up in the Muslim world and how as a young man, I think he said he was eight years old, the um, uh, priest or Iman, whatever they call themselves, come in and uh, had him and was reciting prayers with him and asked him, Who is God? And he told him as a young man, Jesus Christ is God. And he said, he said at that time, he, uh, if I understand him right, he didn't even have a relationship with God. But, but the Lord dealt with him, and as a young man, he began to know the Lord and walk in the ways of God. And he's got quite the story. He said in uh, Trinidad, that's where he's at. And he said he went into an Indian uh, uh, area, I guess, where they've got all kinds of religious uh, uh, gods or whatever set up. And he set up... If I understand right, he set up his church fellowship right in the middle of it. And people asked him, said, aren't you afraid of that? And he said, why would I be afraid? I'm coming in here in Jesus' name. I'm coming in here in the power of the Lord. And the brother has a powerful, powerful word because he's kept the faith that God gave him. See, what God gives you, you have to keep it. You do. See, see, see. we think we don't have anything to do. See, that's what happened to Adam in the garden. God put Adam in a finished work. And we'll see if I can get my lesson or not, but we'll see. God put Adam in a finished work. God finished the work. Last week we were talking about the seventh day in the book of Revelation. So God finished the work there in the beginning. And he set the man in the garden and he said, keep it. Alright? The word that all that God had given Adam, because God had gave it to him. Adam didn't earn it. Adam was placed into a finished work of God, into a fruitful field that was just bringing forth of itself. 
And he was told to keep it, to dress it and keep it. And see, that's, that was a type and shadow of what God was going to do in Christ. He's put us in a new creation land. And in this new creation land, we have to keep what God has given us. What He's given you individually, you've got to keep it and work out of what God has given you. And as you begin to work out of it, it's going to build and it's going to expand and it's going to prosper. Glory to God. It can't help it but to do that. As Jesus said, I am the vine. If any man abide in me, he shall bear forth fruit. And I was, you know, I thought about that a lot through the years. How do I abide in him? I know he abides in me, but how do I abide in him? A lot of times what, what I've done, and this and I guess I am going to get somewhat in my word this morning. I know what I've done is I've turned back to the law to try to abide in God by the keeping of the commandments of the law. I have through the years. That's not how you abide in Him. You abide in Him by His revealed Word. When He, when he said, I'm the true vine, what we should all do is go in our Bibles and search out the vine. Because the Bible is filled with the description of the vine, and the vine will take you back to old Israel. And it will show you that old Israel was a planning of the Lord. It was in a type and shadow or symbolic planning of God. But nonetheless, they were the vine of God in the earth to bring forth fruit unto God. And we read this a few weeks ago of how they brought forth wild grapes. They didn't bring forth what God intended. But Jesus comes on the scene and says, they're not the true vine anyway. I am. Unless you're planted in me, you can't bring forth anyway. And you have to even think of the audience He's speaking to. When he was there in the earth, he was speaking to a Jewish audience. He wasn't speaking to the Gentile right then. He had a Jewish audience around him. So them being a Jew, they think their God's vine. They go back and read Isaiah and they say, look here, Jesus, we're divine. And he said, no, I'm divine. And if you don't get in me, you're going to be cast out and not bring forth fruit. And see, we have a church system today that still thinks that natural Israel's divine. The majority, unfortunately, the majority of preachers will tell you that natural Israel is divine. They're not divine. He is. Glory to God. Yeah, He is divine. And there's no other vine. He is the way. There's no sacrificial system coming back. When He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and what, what's got to come to your heart is the picture of the temple. See, because what was in the Jewish man's heart when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh to the Father but by Me. And again, He said it in the Jewish audience. Where, where did they go to God at? The temple. So they entered to, into the Lord in the temple. Into the presence. 
Neither son of son, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his court with praise. Now that court, you can study out his gate and his court if you read your Bible. And you'll come into the temple of God, to the tabernacle of Moses in the temple of God, and they would enter in there by a sacrifice. And when Jesus come on the scene, He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh through this sacrificial system to the Father. The sacrificial system couldn't get it done. It was only speaking of me. That's what it was declaring. It was declaring me and I'm the way you come in. So we go to Revelation 1 where we've been. And, I, and I'm just going to be quick and jump at some other Scriptures because if I'm not, I'll be, I'll, 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 I will have misled you. I won't say I've lied to you because I don't intend to lie. I don't intend to ever lie. But I said I'd be quick. Maybe that meant life-giving. <laughs> Amen. So John's on the Isle of Patmos, right? <laughs> and he hears a voice, and he turns to see the voice. And being turned, he sees seven candlesticks, seven golden, not just candlesticks. This is verse 12. Seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one light, the Son of Man, clothed, with the high priest's garment. That's what that is, with the garment down the foot. That's the high priest's garment. And gird about the paps, his paps, with the high priest's breastplate, golden girdle, the breastplate plate of the high priest, his head and his hair, white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes as a flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in the furnace. And we're going to be on his feet probably for a little while. And his voice is the sound of many water, and he in many waters, and he had his hand, right hand, seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun that shineth in strength. Every one of these things has a meaning of the Lord. It's a picture of Christ in you. Okay, this this is where, in fact, John said he saw him in the midst of seven candlesticks that he later on says to church, he sees one that looks like this. That's quite a vision. So when you go over and read that Christ is in you, and you even read in Colossians, you are made complete in Him. Some translations say, in Him you are made full. This is how. There's a particular way you're made complete. He's in you in a particular way. He's not just that He's in you. He's very particular. He actually calls John to write a description of himself, of how he's in the church. What's sad when you read the book of Revelation, most believers have missed this, and they've went on to He is to come, and they missed that John said He is. They missed that piece of it. I know I've, I've, I've honed in on it for a long time, but he, but he saw one that is and was and is to come. 
But, but John's declaring here in this setting, He is. And we're going to look at the is to come, I'm sure, in the future weeks, because He's coming in judgment upon apostate Israel at that time. But He is, John said, in the church, and today He is still in the church. Amen. Glory to God. And He's in the church with feet burning as brass. Amen. So there's a judgment in the church. The brazen feet are speaking of a judgment. You write that down. If you're taking notes, write it down. It's a judgment. And do you understand this judgment, you're going to have trouble. And a lot of church has trouble because they don't understand the judgment. So when I go back and I read, the, the, the first place I know, and it may be before this, but, but Exodus 27, 1 through 8, if you write it down, we're going to, I'm just going to read you what God told Moses to build. So when Moses went up into the mountain, he just didn't get the Ten Commandments. He got the entire oracle of God. He came down with how to build the house, how to build the tabernacle, how to set up the service, how to administer the service. Think about what he really got. He, got, he had the description of how to minister. They just didn't minister. They just didn't talk. They just didn't have a certain way they did things. They did it according to the pattern that Moses saw in the mount. So it was all after a pattern. And the pattern, in the patterns, a brazen altar. And, and, and I'm reading now the NIV version. It says in verse Exodus 27, 1, build an altar of a kale wood, three cubits high. It's to be square, five cubits long, five cubits wide. Make a horn at each of the four corners. Even that has a reason. It's Exodus 27. So that the horns and the altars are of one piece and overlay the altar of bronze. Make all its utensils of bronze, its pots to remove the ashes and its shovels, sprinkling bowls, meat forks, and fire pans. Make a grating for it, a bronze network, and make a bronze ring at each side of the four corners of the network. Now, there's something got to do with all this bronze or brass, or God wouldn't have uh, told Moses to do this. Put it under the ledge of the altar so that it is halfway up the altar. Make poles of a kale wood for the altar and overlay them with bronze. The poles are to be inserted into the rings so they will be on two sides of the altar when it is carried. Make the altar hollow out of boards. It is to be made just as you were shown. On the mountain. No other way. Just as you were shown, Moses, as it's revealed, make this altar. So they did. And what did they do on this altar? Flip over to Leviticus 1, for example. We'll just use Leviticus 1. So Leviticus 1, verse 1, it says, and I believe I have the Amplified Bible copied down, so if it reads different, God bless you and forgive me. It says here, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, or the tabernacle, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd, cattle or oxen, or from the flock, sheep or goats. 
If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting so that he may be accepted before the Lord. So he's offering this that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, transferring symbolically his guilt to the sacrifice. Is what they wrote in the Amplified. That it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. He shall kill the young bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons and the priests shall present the blood and sprinkle the blood around the altar that is at the doorway of the tent meeting. And then it goes through the rest of, of what they were to do with the burnt art, uh, offering. If you read the book of Leviticus, he's going to go through all kinds of ritualistic offerings. So all the way through that book, it's going to tell you about ritualistic offerings and what the high priest is to do. And this was what was set forth in Israel, that they were to do it daily. They were daily going into the tabernacle and making offerings unto the Lord. And this was a continual offering. This sounds uh, sound like a chapter of your Bible right now, that they were continually entering in there, but not without blood. Glory to God. We're going to look at that in a moment, but before we do, we're going to turn to Hebrews 10. And you can turn there now and get up with me, but I'm going to read you Leviticus 17 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, a covering. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So the life of the flesh is in the blood. And it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Now, in the Old Testament, if you look up the word soul, it means the being. It could have been interpreted the being. So, so the blood is, the, is what atones, covers you to make you presentable to the Lord. Only problem with that blood is it would only make you presentable for a short time, and it would never clear the conscience of man. That's why in the church today, so many people's conscience is still full of guilt. You know, when you come in the midst of God's people, you come in the midst sometimes of the most guiltiest people in the world. Shouldn't be. But you come into a group of people that's just filled with guilt because week after week after week inside of their congregation the law is read and they're told to keep the Mosaic law. And all the law can do is show you that you don't add up. So over and over when I read the law, I'm going to see I don't add up. And I'm going to make confessions. Notice this. I'm going to confess with my mouth, not the Lord Jesus. 
I'm going to confess with my mouth me. And I'm going to say, God, I don't add up. See, I'm making the wrong confession. I'm not confessing Him. See, see, as a Christian, you need to keep confessing Him and you need to keep eating Him. See, because He has freed me from all sins. How many? All. How many is all? I had a blackboard up here. I'd write A-L-L. Underline it and put exclamation points all down the side of it to try to get the point across that His blood shed was enough. And if I begin eating Him, not only will His blood remove the guilt from my heart, it'll cause me to live right. I don't need I don't need the mosaic law for me to live right. Now the mosaic law was of God, so I'm not against the mosaic law because it was given of God, so I'm not going to speak ill of it because it's God breathed and it was given of God and it was to show man his inadequacies. But Jesus came to show you your adequate. He come to make you adequate. Amen. And, that's, and that's, the, that's part of the mystery of Christ is that you are adequate. You are, Paul wrote, complete in Him. Paul said the ministry he had was to present every man perfect and blameless before the Lord. I was going to read Hebrews 10, but flip to Colossians 1 or 2. Because you, 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 you may not believe me. So in case you don't believe me, I'm going to read it. So then you got to, right? Or you can say, well, I don't mean that, Brother Wayne. I believe I want one, don't I? Help me out, Brother Bob. Yep. Now, now I can't find it. Do you know where that's at, Bob? Where you make be made blameless and up? one and nineteen. Two, four down. For it was the good pleasure of the Father that in Him should all the fullness dwell, and through Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him I say, whether things upon the earth or things in heaven, and you being in time past alienated, and enemies in your mind and evil works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you. See there, that high priest in the old covenant presented you, or presented them. With that animal sacrifice, that's what he was doing. He was laying his hands up on that sacrifice and cutting his throat or killing him. And he was presented to the Lord as accepted. But Apostle Paul writes here that yet now have, have he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death to present you. Get all of this. To present you, Sheila. You. What? Holy? Holy. Hallelujah. And without blemish 
and unreprovable before Him. What? If so be you continue in the faith. If you continue in this Word God's gave you. See, if you don't continue in this Word God's gave you, you'll find yourself back in doubt and fear, not believing you're not reproved because you're not confessing the Lord Jesus. Because if I confess the Lord Jesus, I'm unreprovable in His sight. Because I'm abiding in the vine. I'm believing His Word. I'm believing He put me in this place, in this heavenly place, above all principality and power, seated with Him in the heavens, at the right hand of God, seated with Him. He's seated above all principality and power. So that power that tells you, Brother Wayne, you're not enough, you ain't good enough for God, his body offered for you made you enough. You are enough. Because I'm confessing him. Now that was in my notes you're getting a little bit extra this morning. Or this just come before me as I speak, and it comes before me a lot of times as I'm speaking. The Lord just told minister to me while I'm preaching. And this uh, confessing the Lord Jesus just, just took a, let's say, you know, for years I talked about it, Sister Waverly, as we confess Him and get saved. Well, I just saw a bigger picture as I'm speaking of confessing the Lord Jesus. See, if I'm confessing the Lord Jesus, I'm confessing His work Amen. right Amen. in the midst of the storm. Right. right in the midst of doubt and fear, right in the midst of turmoil, right in the midst of everything going lopsided, right. I'm standing there and I'm saying, Lord Jesus, I confess you. You made me, your blood was enough, and you made me unreprovable in your sight. Problem is, I get in my sight. I move over from his sight to my sight. And whenever I move from his sight to my sight, I find that I can be reproved. I find that I can be everything. I don't measure up. I'm no good. I'm no account for nothing. But that's my sight. That ain't his sight. See, that ain't, the, that ain't the gospel. See, the gospel is good news. The gospel is a book of good news, a word of good news, and it's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Amen. And the good news is He bore my burdens. You know, it's been a long time maybe since we preached some of this, but He bore my burdens. So if I'm burdened down and I'm full of guilt and shame and cares, Jesus took them in the body of His flesh. That's what He did. 
So now flip over to Hebrews 10, and then we're going to look at Isaiah 53, and we may be done. We'll see. Hebrews 10 says, For the law, verse 1, For the law, everybody say, For the law. Everybody say, For the law. Having a shadow. A what? A shadow. Why don't you go out there when it's 90 degrees and stand in the shadow and see if you got any air conditioning. You know, we got a shadow of the building. Go over and stand in the, in the shadow. It won't get it done. It ain't like the real thing. It's a shadow. I can see good up close. I can't see far away. That's why I'm doing this. The law having a shadow of good things come, not the very image, not the substance of it, can never with the same sacrifices year by year, which they continually make, which they offer continually make perfect them that draw nigh. See, this is a problem. It doesn't have the substance to make you perfect. It's a shadow of it, but it has no substance. So substance came in the person of Jesus Christ. Substance came that you could be perfect. Else, you know, verse 2, else they would not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having been once cleansed, would have had no more consciousness of sin. So, so if, if the substance was there, they would, have, they would have only done it one time. Because the substance to cleanse them would have made them perfect, their conscience perfect. And it would have been over. It would have been enough. They would have come slate the one animal and went in there and been all right. But there's no substance. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance made of sins year by year, for, it's not, for it is impossible that the blood of bull and goat should take away sins. It's what? Impossible. Wherefore? This is why it came. For this reason. You say, wherefore? Look up what wherefore means. I can look it up real quick because I got it right here in front of me. So I can, I shouldn't say cheat, but I can get it real fast. Wherefore means through which thing. So through which thing. He, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, through, through which thing he came into the world, saying, Sacrifice and offering you wouldest not. All these burnt offerings couldn't get it done, but a body have you prepared me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou have no pleasure. Now, should I understand burnt offerings if he talks about it? Probably. I have to go back and read about the burnt offering. Because he talks about it. Check it out. Then said I, lo, I come in the roll of the book, or the volume of the book, it's written to me. So in the book of Moses, it's written of Jesus Christ. So when the book of Leviticus was being written, and it's telling them all the offerings and sacrifices they had to do, that was written of Him. 
So he comes in the volume of the book saying, Above the sacrifice and offering and whole burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, thou wouldest not, neither have pleasure therein, the which are offered according to law. So God's pleasure wasn't even in it. Jesus come unseen, he said, Here's my pleasure. Here's my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And John says of him, This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So God had pleasure in this sacrifice that was coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. He had pleasure in it. Glory to God. Then have He said, Lo, I am come to do Thy will. He taketh away the first that He may establish second. I know I've preached this a lot of times. It's the first man. I agree with that. But He took away first sacrifice. He took away that sacrificial system and put Him in a body and He came into the earth to bear the sins of men. Glory to God. So, when He come, He take away first that He may establish the second sacrifice, the final one, the second man, the second covenant, all to do with second, by which will we have been sanctified through. Say, I am sanctified. Are you bold enough to say it? I am sanctified through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. See, I'm confessing the Lord Jesus. That's what He said He did. So I'm confessing He has sanctified me through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once. See, that word once is very important because it's not like the old sacrificial system that over and over and over again He one time offered Himself and sat down. Meaning it's done. Glory to God. And every high priest stand up day by day, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, when he had offered one sacrifice for him, forever sat down on the right hand of God, henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. And I'm going to stop there for a moment. moment. Well, let me read one more verse. For by one offering he had perfected Forever. How long? Forever. Them that are sanctified. What did you just read? What? He sanctified us through the offering, and by which will we have been sanctified. Then we go up to the will up. God, I come to do your will. So it's God's will that you be sanctified, and you're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, forever. This is what I keep. See, he gave Adam something to keep in the garden. He's telling you, keep this, guard this. This is what God said over you. This is what God said. This is what God said. So when, when, when something comes in your mind and says, oh, you ain't good enough, God said, I am. God is greater. Greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. See, see, I, I, I see something, Brother Bob, and I, I, I'm going to try to put it in words. See, what we've got fat on is how you're not good enough. The religious system has told us week after week, you better break through. 
And week after week, believers all over the earth in all denominations, not just one, in all, most denominations, say all, most denominations, they come up week after week. So if I don't have a sinner in here, I, I need to get all y'all, feel them bad enough that you can pray. What if I got you feeling good enough that you could conquer sin? <laughs> what if you were felt good enough in Christ that when temptation came, you could say to that serpent that God's my Father and I belong to Him. What if an awareness like that came into you? Well, how do I get that awareness? I confess Him. I confess what He's done. I begin to declare over me what Jesus has done, and I begin to declare it not over me, I declare it over you. Amen. And over your family. Amen. Over your household. That by His stripes we were healed. And He was bruised for our iniquities that the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. So I begin to confess Him without doubting. I come, you know, you know that's the beauty of, of, of born-again salvation. When you get saved, you don't doubt. For that brief moment, you come into saving faith to worry you don't doubt. Why don't you just stay there? What if God brought us into a place that we just didn't leave there? We just stayed there. And say, God, according to your word. Isn't that what Mary said? God, you know, to the angel, according to the word, be it unto me. So if I read Hebrews 10, and I read that He's come to take away the first, and we're sanctified through the offering of the body once for all, and we're made perfect through Him, Lord, be it unto me. And I feel like, I don't, I don't know how to put it in words to you right now how I feel. <laughs> I feel the Spirit of God is how I feel. Confession's good for your soul. See, but usually in our minds when we say that, confession of guilt. What about confession unto salvation? (laughs) What about confession unto what He's done? See, that's what we don't understand. A lot of times we're we're not, and that's what He kept doing with Abraham. I had had it... uh, some things in my life years ago, and I don't know how to do it, but share it with you. The Lord would uh, take me to Abraham, and I'd go read the story of Abraham. And Abraham, you, you ever read where Abraham messed up? I did. Did you read where God said, Abraham, you dirty dog, get that promise I gave you. You're not going to get it now because you just messed up. Did you ever read that? You did? you believe that every time about yourself when you messed up? I'm a dirty dog. 
I'm not being good for nothing. I've not been made fit for anything. I'm lousy. You know what God did with Abraham? When Abraham wallowed in the mud, he said, lift up thine eyes. Abraham, look up and see what I have done. Unto thy seed will I. Not might I. Not maybe. Unto thy seed will I. See, you've entered into covenant with God. And God's a God of shall. So He's working a work in you to make you believe you're unreprovable in His sight. And you're not unreprovable because you deserve it. You're not unreprovable. I ain't going to preach how good you are. You're unreprovable because of how good He is. See, what I'm preaching to you is how great He is. What I'm declaring to you this morning is Jesus is enough to make you unreprovable. You're not. See, as long as you try of yourself, you just ain't going to get it done. But He's enough to make you unreprovable in His sight. His sight. Not your sight. And it's when you come to His sight and you see what He's done, you look through His eyes, you want Brother Bob to be unreprovable. Y'all go and read Isaiah 53. He's going to go, I was going to go there, but for time's sake I won't. But he would make his soul an offering for sin. See, he was the offering that the, all these offerings spoke of, and he's the judgment that you stand in. So you stand in his judgment that uh, that offering was enough. I told you before, that brazen altar's enough. And so they stood in the judgment of that lamb or that goat or that bull. Now you stand in the judgment of Jesus Christ. You stand. See, the wicked doesn't stand there. Like James read this morning, but you stand because you're not in the assembly of the wicked because you have believed in your heart. You've confessed in your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe God hath raised Him from the dead and pardoned all your iniquities and He brought you into a brand new man. We'll get more into that brand new man. But today we've just taken a trip back in history and dealing a little bit with the sin that beguiles us so often and so often throws us off the race because so often we turn our eyes from His sight to our own sight and we look at ourselves and every time we do it, we don't measure up. But when I look at Him and I look at what He's done, I'm more than able to take my mountain and this is my mountain. Glory to God. And God has caused me to move in there as a son of God and to be one with Him. And I can confess, God, I'm one with You. So when I come and pray, I can say, Father, you made me one. I'm a son. And I'm coming in here praying as a son of God. So I'm speaking to you, and I'll, I'll close my Bible. My Bible's on a computer, so I won't uh, read. I, I'll read anymore. I'll steal Bob's Bible. Take it. I'll steal it. 
but I can come in here and confess to you, I'm the Son of God. Because we are dirtbags. No. Because we are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, my Father, God, You are mine. Hallelujah. What a relationship. I, I don't know I've ever said this because I, I kind of thought it was bad, but the Spirit of the Lord is just kind of moving in me this way. Papa. Daddy. God. My Papa. My Father. I'm endeared to you. See, Father, you know, when we use the term Father, I mean, this has just still this austere kind of meaning, right? But when I use the word Papa, I'm speaking out of affection and the one I'm acquainted with. I'm acquainted with my Papa, my God. He's my Father. He's my Papa. He's my God. And I'm acquainted with Him. So I come into His midst just like you do and you come into the midst of your daddy. You don't come necessarily and say, Hey, Father, you come and you say, Daddy, because you're acquainted with him. Amen. And you call him an endearing term of Papa because, I, Papa, I'm acquainted with you. You may be yours. And now as your son, I'm entering right into your presence. To make up, did you know? Because yes. I've been given access Amen. to the blood of the Lamb. Amen. To have a term of endearment. Oh my God. Amen. Endearment. Man. Because your sons. That's why. How's your sense? Because he doesn't see you anywhere else. He sees you as a son. He's quickened us with him, he says. Raised us with him. Seated us with him. In heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. Well, I could preach all morning. 